Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collins Guitars and Mandolins, each and every one built from the sound up in Austin, Texas. This episode is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, the home of Roots Music Instruction. If you want to improve your playing, join me and thousands of other pickers getting better every day at pegheadnation.com. Hey folks, this is Rob Ikes. And this is Trey Hensley, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along. The podcast for anyone and everyone who plays bluegrass. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, it's a new week and a new interview on the podcast. Um, I've got two guests for you this time. One guest I've had on previously and a new guest. So this is Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley this week. I've had a chat with Trey before. Um, and if you missed that, go back and dig out that episode because that was great. But I'm talking to them both about the new record they've got out, which is due actually be out by the time you hear this. Um, so yeah, it's really cool. Great to catch up and have a chat about that record and some really interesting stuff in there. Um, just really nice guys to talk to. So I hope you enjoy that. Um, there's some new stuff coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks, a whole new episode every week. I'm going to tell you a bit more about that in due course, but keep your eyes and ears peeled because there's some really cool stuff coming on the podcast soon. Uh, but that's it. I'm going to let you hear Rob and Trey and I will see you next time. My guests on Bluegrass Jamalong this week uh, are one absolute stalwart of the Bluegrass music scene and one very much rising star, even though he's been around for quite a while himself already. Um, I have Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley. Welcome to Bluegrass Jamalong. How's it going? Thanks for having it's us, good. It's good to have you here. Trey, nice to see you again. You've been here before. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us back. Man. This is this is fun. Great to see you. And uh, a particularly interesting talk to you right now as you as we record this you have a new record about to come out by the time this is out there for people to listen to the new record will be out um so it'd be really cool to talk about that um but i'd really like just for a second to hear from you rob about sort of how you two started working together because i've heard from trey before uh, but it'd be cool just to hear sort of how your how your duo got together really yeah. Um, yeah. I met Trey when he was a little kid and uh, I played with Earl Scruggs probably for about 10 years. Um, and uh, Earl was a big fan of Trey's. And I know they met when Trey did the Opry, you know, with Marty Stewart when he was just 11 or 12. And so I probably met Trey a few months after that. And I remember uh, we were playing at the Tennessee Theater, which is a beautiful theater in Knoxville, Tennessee. And Earl had invited Trey to sit in and, uh, you know, Trey just got up there and crushed it. You know, we did uh, uh, Jimmy Brown, the newsboy, which has a very classic, you know, uh, Earl Scruggs guitar part to it. And, uh, you know, sang it great. I mean, at that time he was pretty young, so his voice was wasn't near, you know, what it is today. And uh, so I just kind of thought, well, this kid's awesome. You know, it's great. And then we we would cross paths once in a while. Um, and uh, and then I'm trying to think what year it was, like 2014 or 2015. We were doing a Blue Highway album. And um, there was one song that we were going to send uh, to another artist to put a lead vocal on as like a special guest. And... And it was original that Tim Stafford and Wayne Taylor had wrote. And uh, so we needed somebody to sing a scratch vocal so that we could save the instrument tracks. You know what I mean? Because if like if Tim sang it, he'd have to redo his guitar because the vocal would bleed over the guitar microphone. 
And so the guy who owned the studio is good friends with Trey. And he said, hey, let me call Trey Hensley. You know, he, he can sing the scratch vocal. He'll do a great job. And so Trey came in the next day and, you know, we ran the song down just a couple times. And we were all super impressed with how, you know, he just learned it super quick. And he sang the heck out of it. You know, I mean, just absolutely stellar vocal. But I think we were all kind of focused on our tracks and, you know, whatever. And so a couple of days later, the engineer sent us the rough mixes and we all just kept listening to that lead vocal. And it was like, damn, that's really good singing. You know, I, I think I don't even think our special guest could sing <laughs> as well as what Trey has done on there. And um, and so we decided just to leave Trey's vocal on there and, and you know, maybe give him a, a start to his career, you know, and, and just kind of help him out or whatever and help us out. Cause honestly, it was just such a great vocal. Um, and, uh, and then Trey and I just kind of became friends and, and I feel like I was kind of mentoring him, you know, like, you know, he called me and we talked about, he was thinking about moving to Nashville and I said, definitely you should do it. You know, I think you're really serious talent, you know, and I think you'd do well here. And I'd be happy to introduce you around, you know, and and uh, and then like the next day he called and his wife had got a job here and they were moving to Nashville, you know. Um, so it's just like <laughs> like that. And I was like, cool, you know, let's start playing some shows at the station in and, and would love to, you know, introduce you around. And, and uh, so we did that, you know, and um, and then we ended up doing a record together. And um, and I guess the rest is history, you know. And here we sit with a new record to talk about, um, Living in a Song. And it feels like, uh, I mean, I, I haven't had a chance to hear the whole record yet because as we record this, it's not out. But um, the bits I have heard and what I know about it, it definitely sounds like there's a, a slight sort of direction change from the previous show. It's been quite a blues sort of vibe to the, the past few records. And this definitely feels like it's leaning much more in a country direction. Yeah, that's... Um... I think that was just the way the material, you know, kind of fell together. Um, the last two, I, I'm not really sure. You know, it's like we we obviously are influenced by blues music, um, bluegrass, country. Um, this one was the first one that we sat down with the intention of writing all the material for, you know. And, uh, and I think it just kind of happened that, like, a lot of these songs were country-sounding songs, you know. Um, and so, yeah, when the record, when we put it together, it definitely has a more country sort of side to it, you know, that uh, that the other three records haven't had. And, yeah, the last one was very blues influenced. Um, so, yeah, this is definitely definitely a little different for what we've normally done, you know. Yeah. And I, I think part of the reason, too, is, you know, we we set out kind of set a goal for ourselves to write most of this album. And we've written a lot on the other ones, but not this much. And so we wrote 10 out of 12 on this one. And I guess that's just kind of where our writing style took us or the people we co-wrote with, you know, we're more in the country world. Um, and, and that's one of the fun things. And one of the challenges of this project, you know, is that we both like a lot of different styles of music and, you know, with the dobro and the guitar, you can get away with murder, you know, and kind of do whatever you want. It doesn't have to be one thing. And so, um, and, and we had, uh, I think we kind of talked about, yeah, let's do, this is going to be more of a country album or Americana, you know, whatever that word means. Um, 
it, there's a lot of different styles in there, but yeah, it definitely has, has a little more of a country feel. I think that's safe to say. And you, was the opportunity choice of producer was, was sort of led by that because you went with uh, Brent Mayer, who's obviously produced all sorts of people in the country world. Yeah. You know, I think, well, the last record we did uh world full of blues was our first record that we'd worked with Brent. And, um, Honestly, we just kind of, when we decided we were going to do another record, I don't think we ever talked about, you know, are we going to use Brent again? We just kind of went in and, you know, it's like any opportunity we get to work with Brent, we're, we're chomping at the bit. And then, so it was kind of like when we finished World Full of Blues, we just kind of said, okay, well, we'll see you guys next month. You know, I guess we'll get back to work (laughs) on the next thing, you know, and then COVID happened and uh, we started writing, you know, through Zoom um and i guess the first song we wrote uh after the pandemic had started was with brent over uh i guess just a phone call you know and that was uh is the world still turning that's on the record um and then yeah i mean i think brent's um obviously his his major hits have been in the country field but you know he's worked with um you know everybody from uh worked some with louis armstrong and chuck berry and elvis and you know anybody you could really think of. So it's his reach is wide. Our reach is wide. So it just kind of felt natural to work together, you know? Yeah, totally. And there's, I was going to ask about that actually, you know, there's sort of, if the choice was taken to try and write as much of the new record as possible, being at home for two years, it's certainly going to give you time to work (laughs) on that, isn't it? Well, that was part of it too. I mean, the record is COVID influenced, you know, in that, uh, you know, all our touring was not going to happen. So we just switched gears, uh, and, and hit the songwriting thing pretty hard. I mean, we did a lot of, a lot of Zoom sessions and, uh, and it was great. I mean, we both written before, but not this much and not sort of like, okay, on Thursday, we're going to write, you know, just sort of more disciplined about it which I think was new for both of us. And, um, but I tell you, it was a great process and just to start with nothing at the beginning of a zoom and then have something at the end was really cre- exciting and, and creative, you know, and, and that was a, a great experience. Makes me feel, you know, more confident about doing it in the future. Um, and, uh, you know, just the, like I said, the whole process was kind of fascinating to me because sometimes and co-writing is fun because you might just have an idea and you throw it out there and then somebody else takes the baton and, oh yeah, you know, here's, how about this for a first verse, you know, or how about this for a turnaround lick? And, and then somebody else is like, yeah, why don't we, why don't we kill this guy this verse, you know? (laughs) Or, you know, why don't we do this? And uh, so it can, you know, when you run out of ideas, somebody else can kind of take it and and carry it across the finish line or, you know, vice versa. So that, that part of it was, was fascinating for me and, and uh, just enjoyable. Did you find yourself sort of writing differently? doing that rather than if you were sat in a room together i know you sort of said there was a bit more process there as a result maybe yeah you know i think um i think it worked well for us you know it seemed like we we wrote with so many different people over covid too you know it was always the two of us but we would write you know with just a whole whole bunch of different people and you know some people we would talk to they didn't like you know doing the zoom right but i think we were productive you know doing it 
that way. I mean, it is a little, it was a little different, you know, you're not in the room with somebody, so you can't, you know, it, to, it, it's a little harder just to pull things out of thin air, you know, uh, you know, there was a couple of songs like the song Louisiana woman that we recorded that was literally just pulled out of thin air when we were writing with Brent, you know, and we were all in the room together. And I don't think that song would have happened over zoom, you know, maybe it would have, but I don't, I don't know that it could have, uh, but for the most of them, it seemed like, you know, it went pretty well. And, and, um, you know, we had, <laughs> we had a couple of years to really work on the zoom thing. So it, uh, you know, we, it, it seemed like it went pretty well. And who else have you written with for this record then? Uh, I know this, the second song we did with, uh, Martin Armour, with a friend of ours in Alabama. Um, and then Rob, I know you probably have more insight on Yeah, that. Brent. Well, we wrote a bunch with Brent, our producer. And then, uh, Trey wrote one with Bobby Starnes, who's, who writes a lot of bluegrass stuff. Him and Tim Stafford write a lot together. He's a great writer. And then Tom Yutz, um, uh, we all wrote uh, Moonshine Run together. Well, at different times <laughs> together. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, some bluegrass writers and some country people. And we wrote with a lot of other people. You know, we probably wrote over 30 songs total, but, you know, there's only 10 of them on this record. But, yeah. And Tom Yicks is one of those one of those people that just – I. I first heard his name probably at some point last year and ever since pretty much everybody I speak to is in some form written with or spoken to or what <laughs> it just seems to be one of those people that is that like connected to everybody in the world that I'm talking to yeah he's a busy guy I know he and I wrote a lot um for several years you know I, I used to live fairly close to him and so we would get together you know every once in a while and write um but I think I met Tom randomly we played at the Bluebird Cafe um, uh, years ago, you know, and Tom was, and I, I can't even remember what it was for, but it was like a benefit show. And I think Tom was there playing and, um, and he asked if I would play on his song. And I think that was the first time I'd ever met him, you know, and it just, we kind of connected that at that show, you know, and, and we wrote quite a bit, you know, I, I think Tom did two records over the course of COVID and, um, uh, he and I had several songs on those records and, I think I sang one of the songs on one of them, but yeah, he's a, he's a busy guy, man. He's always writing. Yeah. So it seems that way. Um, it's cool to hear some sort of some more electric sounds, particularly on the recent single moonshine run. Um, cause you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody knows you as a lapsable player as well as a dobo player, Rob, but sort of, Trey, you're pretty visible as an acoustic player, mostly, I guess, to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that was fun. You know, before I, I started playing acoustic guitar when I, when I first started and then yes, at a certain point, um, later in my teenage years, I guess I started playing in a country band and I really didn't play acoustic guitar much, you know, again, until Rob and I started working together. I was primarily an electric guitar player. You know, I did a couple of solo country records and, and I don't, I don't know, but I think I played acoustic guitar on like one track on those two records, you know, yeah, but it was mostly a, an electric player. And then I went back to the acoustic and, and I, it's definitely the, the thing that I love the most, but I do love playing electric. And so that was fun to bring those out for this record. In terms of the songwriting to you, do you sort of find that, um, do you have 
sort of influences as songwriters in the way that you have influences as an instrumentalist are the particular songwriters that you sort of both bonded over or talked about before this process? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's like, I haven't written much lyric stuff before this, but as a Dobro player myself, anyway, I mean, I'm always super listening to the lyrics, you know, because I want to play instrumentally what's happening in the song. So I'm listening. The lyric kind of tells me what to play. You know, do I play a blues lick? Do I play it soft or do I really hammer this note or, and so, um, you know, so I feel like I've, been studying lyrics you know my whole life even though i haven't really been been a songwriter and um and you know i mean i guess you know i'd have to say merle haggard because his songs are the greatest you know and and just pulls you in like nobody of course combined with his vocal you know you you have no there's no chance of getting away (laughs) he's gonna pull you in to that story you know and um and that's another thing i like is just some singers are what we call picture singers you know when the way they sing creates a picture in your mind you know like ray charles would do that or merle haggard they'll put a little spin on a lyric or just a syllable or whatever and it just it paints a picture you know and um so uh so those are all things that i geek out on and pay attention to as a musician you know and i guess lyrics is is throw that in the same boat but uh, yeah, I mean, there's a truth and an honesty about Merle Haggard's songwriting that is uh, that's a nice thing to strive for, you know. Yeah, I think with working with Brent too, you know, he he kind of helped with that. You know, he's such a great songwriter that we I feel like we both learned a lot from working with him. You know, um, and he had worked a lot with Harlan Howard and you know a lot of other great writers that. I'm sure rubbed off on him in that same way. Um, so yeah. And it's interesting, Rob, to hear you say you sort of hadn't really written all that much personal stuff lyrically before this, because there's a very personal song on this record. Um, I thought I saw a carpenter about, about your yeah. dad and that's, you know, that's about as personal as you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's another example of having my radar up, you know, and, and, yeah, you know, a few days before my dad passed away, he had pancreatic cancer, which is by the time they know what it is, they can't do anything for you, you know. So they said, oh, you've got about four weeks, and they were exactly right. And so we all, you know, we brought him home, and I flew out to California, and we all, you know, my brother and sister and I and my mom, we just, you know, spent as much time with them as took as good a care of him as we could. And yeah, just a few days before he passed away, he was just having a rough morning. You kind of have to keep the pain medicine ahead of the pain, you know, and and the the illness. And so one morning, you know, the pain got really intense. So we kind of had to up his medicine and and he was feeling better a little bit later. And he said, I thought I saw a carpenter. And I thought, wow, that's just kind of a cool way of describing a near-death experience, you know. And uh and it just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know? And, and so I guess a couple of months later when, uh, Trey and I got together with Brent, I just kind of threw that title out there or that line out there and told them the story, you know? And, and it was the, the seed of, of the whole song, although the song isn't really, you know, uh, exactly, 
um, kind of what happened uh, in my situation, but it was it was used as a starting point for the rest of the song, and I still think that's a killer line. <laughs> and Trey Lasilva, is there any? Do you approach a record differently when you've written the bulk of the, the tunes on it as a, as a singer, particularly? Like, is it is the is it different having that sort of connection to the material than you know an album of songs that might have been written by a, a bunch of people? We'll be right back with you just after this. Collins Guitars has been a long-time supporter of the bluegrass community, from collaborating with artists to sponsoring festivals big and small, and now by sponsoring Bluegrass Jam Along. Handmade in Austin, Texas, every Collins guitar and mandolin that leaves the shop is built from the sound up, and the team loves seeing a Collins in the hands of players of all levels, from local musicians to world-renowned pickers. Visit collinsguitars.com for more. This episode is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, the home of Roots Music Instruction. With 65 streaming video courses for guitar, mandolin, banjo, fiddle, dobro, bass and ukulele from some of the leading names in acoustic music, Peghead Nation is something for every picker. You'll learn the tunes and techniques you need to join in at jams and play the music you love, plus advanced techniques like improvisation, theory and ear training. Your first course is just $20 per month and you can add more for $10 a month. Sign up for any course and get your first month free with the promo code JAMALONG, all one word. Join thousands of other players, including me, who are advancing on their instruments and having more fun playing the roots music they love at pegheadnation.com. Uh, yes, yes and no, kind of, you know, because it's a lot of the songs from our previous record, uh, records, I think, you know, we, we picked those out pretty carefully, um, and, you know, a lot of the songs that we write, um, from my perspective, aren't necessarily personal. You know, they're not, they're not, I, I have a hard time writing autobiographically. Um, it helps me, you know, even just, just reading things, you know, a lot of times I just like to read things from other people's perspectives or, you know, it, um, just stories, you know, I, I like Tom T. Hall's songwriting because it, it was a lot of stories about other people, you know, and um, even songs like, you know, Ballad of $40 or whatever that, you know, he's, he's writing from the perspective of a grave digger that, you know, in a humorous way. And it, it, uh, I love those songs. And so I think when, when, when I write, I have a tendency to write from somebody else's perspective. Um, so I'm, there's not necessarily that connection that's like, you know, other than the song, uh, the last song on the record, which is, uh, Thanks was uh, a little personal, you know, cause I, I wrote that kind of with my wife and daughter in mind. But other than that, you know, it's like moonshine run. I never ran moonshine, you know, I never made moonshine. I knew people that did, but I, I never did, you know? And so it, it wasn't necessarily coming from a personal place, but I, I kind of like Rob mentioned earlier, you know, as far as Merle Haggard or Larry Sparks or any of those singers that, you know, like to, you know, when they sing, it, it seems like they're, it's coming from their perspective. And, and so yeah. those were my favorite singers. And so I think I try to do that myself, you know, whether it comes across or not is something different, but I do like to think of it in that way. So, you know, it's, it is yes or no. Um, I feel like I was very proud that we wrote all these songs and, uh, and I do feel personal on that level about it. But uh, yeah, you know, as just, just a singer, I just try to, sing every song I can, you know, with as much uh, conviction as possible. 
That's a really cool thing is that idea of, and country is steeped in this as is bluegrass, is just the idea of a story song. One of my favourite songwriters is Steve Earle, and he does that beautifully. And I think sometimes you can be more moved by seeing the world through somebody else's eyes in that format than just hearing another person's direct experience. They can both take you somewhere totally different. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, you know, just talking about these little vocal things too, and, and, and songwriting, you know, the, the title track, I just love Trey's vocal, you know, in the first verse, there's just, I can't remember which line it is right now, but there's a line in there. He just, do, 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 do. he just does a certain phrasing thing that is perfect, you know, and it's, it's just really appropriate for the lyric. And uh, so, yeah, but he does that all the time without even thinking about it. <laughs> And it's interesting that you both sort of mentioned um, like musicians who deliver something with a directness and they make it their own and have that. Cause one of the, you know, you've written nearly everything on this record. One of the tracks you didn't write that's on this is way downtown and Doc Watson is somebody that obviously all of us associate with that level of directness and ability to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cool to, to hear that this year cause there's so much noise around what would have been Doc's hundredth birthday next month. Um, yeah. This is a, it feels like everybody's celebrating Doc, which is great. And it's just lovely to have a, a Doc Watson song there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a big, you know, obviously for both of us, Doc was, you know, I think anybody that has picked up a guitar and played this kind of music since, you know, 1967 can kind of thank Doc, you know, so it, uh, that we've been doing way downtown for a, for a number of years now. And, and, uh, I think it was just one of those we threw out, you know, during the pre-production, but, uh, Brent just really loved that one. And, and, you know, obviously we do too, cause we've been playing it for so long, but yeah, I mean, doc vocally and instrumentally, um, was a big part of my musical life, you know, still, still kind of seems like the, you know, he and Tony were the guiding light for all of us, you know? So it's, uh, he, he's still present in, in our musical life for sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I, when Trey and I first started working together, I thought, man, this guy's like Doc Watson in the 21st century, (laughs) you know, just one of our first shows, the promoter came up after and he said, I don't think I've ever heard anybody sing that well that also plays that well. And I said, I would agree with that, you know, so I think you got to reach back to Doc Watson or Tony Rice, you know, to hear somebody that can do it like Trey does it. It's, uh, it's just always just just great to hear you know and that track's got Stuart Duncan on fiddle as well who you know there's always great to hear Stuart in any setting um so just curious to know I've seen you've got quite a few tour dates lined up for this already um sort of through spring and summer are you touring it as a duo have you got a band with you for those Uh, we do some, some of both, um, a lot of duo stuff, but like the two shows this week are with the band and Mike Bubb plays bass with us. Usually you probably know Mike. He's one of the greats. And then our drummer is John Alvey, um, monster musician. They've both played on all of our records. We, John didn't play on the first one, but he's played on the last three or last two, um, including this one is three. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to do more band stuff this year um than in the past. Um it's fun, you know. Um it's uh 
I mean, I like both things, you know, so I like the simplicity of the duo and the travel obviously is a lot easier. <laughs> uh, but it's nice to have the power of that rhythm section behind you and you can kind of relax a little bit and fall into the groove a little more, you know, um, but, uh, yeah, it's nice to change it up, you know, and do different things. Yeah. And is that, is the sort of the touring for this record going to keep you busy pretty much for the rest of the year? Is that the plan? Yeah. That's yeah. The plan. It's looking like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've had, it was last year, last year was really busy. I mean, from October to November, you know, um, not one month, but like 13 months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy, October one. to November was crazy. Uh, October 21, yeah, to November 22. And, uh, and we've had a little time off the road here in December and January. And uh, so, yeah, we're looking forward to getting back out there. And, yeah, it looks like it's going to be another crazy year. So that's that's what we like. We feed off it. <laughs> yeah. And then we just... Um... We were just chatting, Rob, before before we started recording about um, about bigmusictent.com, your sort of teaching site that you both got some content on there as well, um, which is, real, you know, the, the amount of it's so much easier to find really good quality instruction these days. Um, but I know you've got a lot of content on there and you're adding more as you go. Um, and there's also some stuff from Trey as well. Yeah, we started that just like probably six months before COVID. And that was nice timing, you know, because everybody during COVID decided to learn, <laughs> learn an instrument, you know. Um, and so, but no, it's been nice, you know, uh, been kind of thinking about doing that for a while. And a friend of mine approached me coincidentally and just said, Hey, I'd like to throw this all together, you know, and all you got to do is do your thing. And so I said, yeah, that sounds good to me. So, um, yeah, it's been a great experience. It's, uh, you know, we have tons of videos there and then we keep adding to it. And, you know, you can ask me a specific question on there about a song or a lick or a session or whatever, you know. And, <coughs> excuse me. So I feel like it's real, it's a real customizable format, you know. Um, we've got lots of different topics and, and then you can also send in videos of yourself playing and just, at, hey, critique this, or how am I doing on this, or do you got any tips? And so it's pretty cool, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a very, it's just a popular format these days, and I it it, it works well, you know. Um, and then yeah, Trey has uh, a set of downloadable videos there also that are great, um, and so uh, that's been a nice a nice thing for us, yeah. It's an amazing thing just, you know, talking about people can ask you questions and just how accessible people in this world of sort of bluegrass, Americana, whatever you, you want to call it, actually are, you know, how easy it is to actually, and particularly now, so many people on social media, chances to feel like you do see a bit of the process <laughs> and what people are up to and, you know, and that is, it feels like particularly those couple of years where nobody was going anywhere. To, to feel connected through things like that, I think was a really important thing. Yeah. You know, it's like the internet, I guess it started just about sharing information and, and that's, and that's a great example of it. You know, it's just, yeah, here's what we do or here's what we're thinking about, you know, when we're doing this. Um, and, uh, you know, we did some live streams during COVID and I know COVID, 
Trey's done a lot more, you know, on his own. And, and I just see running to people all the time. Oh man, I heard Trey play Red Wing today. That was great. You know, it's like people, it's like their morning cup of coffee at this point, you know, can't, can't get by without it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a good thing. And I think in some ways, you know, like going back to the first track you wrote for the record, is the world still turning? Some of those things are what kept the world still turning when it felt like it wasn't. <laughs> just felt, you know, helped us feel like we were still able to get in touch with each other and, and somehow remain part of something. Um, so stuff like that's really cool. Um, so, yeah, so tour for the rest of the year. Good luck with the record. This, you know, I'm really looking forward to hearing the whole thing. Um, it'll be out by the time people hear this. Um, it's just been great chatting to you both. Thanks so much. Yeah, hey, thank you, man. Enjoyed that. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.